You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to Flipping Tables, episode 83. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm your other host, Michael Edwards. And uh, I think last week, Mike and I, you and I were talking about uh, drawing tablets, replacing crazy, fake, dual-purpose, physical, digital notebooks. And then the very next morning after we recorded, I found the AstroPad, which is software to turn... A an iOS device, a phone, or a tablet into a drawing pad. And when I shared this with the wider community, everyone was instantly like, there is no way they can actually get the latency down that low. <laughs> Just immediate skepticism. Yep. You didn't what? actually try it, did you? No. Because um, <laughs> what's the app cost? Um, it was not super cheap. I mean, it's not yeah. ex- crazy expensive, but it's not like, oh, it's just $1.99. Yeah, I also don't have an iPad, so for something that I wouldn't, even if it works as advertised, I don't see myself using my iPhone to draw. That. Yeah, and the, the little full bleed video they have of the guy working on the iPhone looks super awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I mean, I'm not a professional artist, but I feel like I would not work in a little tiny steno pad if I didn't have yeah. to all the time. So my skepticism comes from just knowing historically the iPad especially has had slightly worse input lag than the phone, just because it's a bigger surface, I guess. But mm. I don't know if that's why. But um, like I, th- I think I saw measurements that used to be around 50 milliseconds, which is pretty good. Like For general purpose, it's great. But for drawing, you notice. And sure. uh, supposedly, I found one article. So, this is really anecdotal, not scientific. I found one <laughs> article that said that the iPad Air 2 has, way, has better latency than any of the previous iPads. So, maybe in that situation, it's, this is doable. But. Well, it also, I guess, it's at least indicative that we're heading in that direction. So. The, the the tablet makers do want to get down to the lowest possible latency, but I've never, I can't honestly think of a, anything I do where that last, like that final mile, like, oh, we got it from, from 50 milliseconds down to 25 milliseconds. Like I'm never going to notice that because yeah. I don't like, do I anything. I tap delete and then <laughs> before I could blink, it deleted <laughs> Well, that's the thing is the operation that I'm invoking will always take longer than like the screen tracking. So saving that extra couple of milliseconds, I'm not even going to notice. Yeah. Well, like you have you used what was that duet app? Have you used that with your iPad? Quite a bit, actually. Yeah. And if you have that turned on full retina, I don't know if the Air 2, if it fares better, but when I used it on the first Air, there was a noticeable hint of lag to the mouse that I could see. Yeah, I will say with the Air 2, because that's what I have from work, it works really well. The thing is, it is so processor intensive. Like the iPad gets hot, the laptop fan turns on. So it's like, yeah, it looks great. And then. All you can hear is just... And does it like barely <laughs> tread water on the battery of the iPad while you're using it? 
Uh, it it charges, but really slowly, <laughs> like crazy, like a percent an hour. I mean, yeah. So it is it is winning the race, but it's a very tortoise <laughs> and hare kind of situation. So I, all all these past experiences are what fuels my skepticism on the AstroPad. And also, their their advertising says zero input lag. So you're like, oh, you're just coming out strong on this. Okay, <laughs> challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah, maybe they mean zero input lag between you and the glass, and then everything that happens after that. <laughs> they're like, well, well, and that's the thing is like they could have the the like from their part of the chain, they could have the most efficient thing ever designed, but. The iPad itself has latency that I just don't see how they can overcome. But yeah, I mean Wacom they they make devices specifically that you know, they have ones that do show you a screen and you draw on them and not just that you have to look up while you draw. And those have a little bit of lag, so it's, it's like those that's are, all they do. Yeah, and those are supposed to be like best in class, right? Like thousands those, of dollars. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I would love for someone to really give me like a month with this. Like I stopped using my, you know, Wacom. Is it Wacom? I always said Wacom. You're probably right. I don't know. I stopped using my fancy tablet and tried to use this thing because there may be noticeable lag, but noticeable lag doesn't necessarily mean it's not serviceable. You know, so I don't I don't know. It's yeah. a it's I'm glad we're headed in this direction because Things will blossom out of this, even for people who aren't professional artists. Like, it shouldn't have any lag that it doesn't have to have. So, if we can get to sub 10 millisecond, like, yeah, do that. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. So, you want to uh, rub Metal Gear Solid in my face a little bit? (laughs) So, just a short little follow up that I've been playing the hell out of Phantom Pain uh, this long weekend over Labor Day. It's been perfect for that. Um, just like new cat, whatever you go sleep over there. I'm going <laughs> to sneak through some missions and, uh, I will say the game's not perfect and I won't spoil or talk about plot at all. Cause there are some significant plot things that happen and we know people value not being spoiled, even if whatever that study aside, <laughs> <clears throat> the main annoying thing is after most missions, you kind of have to call a helicopter in and it's just kind of, this is getting tedious of like, for, I mean, I, for I, you, like, so you can evac. You or you can you can put prisoners on the helicopter if you don't want to use the fancy balloon thing to rocket them up, okay. um, <laughs> which is the source of lots of funny videos. But um, it's just getting a little like okay, I'm sick of this. Like I mean, I appreciate the like you gotta escape now. Like that challenge is fine, but like there's sometimes where it's like, all right, I got out. Can I just press X and start the next mission? Do I have to? Call a helicopter, wait about 15 or 30 seconds, get on the helicopter, watch an animation of Big Boss closing the helicopter, and then it fades out, and then you get to pick what you're doing next. And I'm like, I don't... Like, Mission 50, this is getting old. I I don't want to watch Knights of the Round summon (laughs) happen every time I finish a mission, so... That's the main pain point. Is it always, do you also have to get back out of a place? So it's not like mission over, call the helicopter. It's like mission over, now get to the helicopter area where it picks you up. Well, I mean, you get to choose. And technically, I guess I don't have to call the helicopter because you could, it's an open world. I could just run and just go somewhere else and start something (laughs) else. But um, I mean, there's reasons you want to go back to mother base or you want to (laughs) shower. Apparently, if you don't shower for like, several missions in a row enemies will smell you 
and they'll start tracking you because you smell bad. I feel like every Metal Gear Solid game has had some kind of like poop joke in it. Yeah. Like that's just, I mean, it, you know, it's it's an otherwise super serious universe. So it is kind of funny in, in Metal Gear Solid 2 when the guy's like running down the hallway with his like hands on his butt and he's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And always Otacon peeing or. Yeah. Yep. There's there's a reference to someone pee. I won't say who or wh- in what context, but that is referenced in the new one in this one too. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like uh, Hideo Kojima basically wrote one game and then was like, now I'm going to just tell these same jokes over and over, and not in like a spiteful way because they're interesting retellings of the same joke, but it's like the aristocrats like it's just (laughs) the punchline is always the same you know the good guys win the bad guys lose but no one really knows the truth and what is (laughs) life man like it's it's the same story but i love it so much i'm so jealous yeah you gotta you gotta get a ps4 yeah it's coming this year i just don't know how soon but i mean the years (laughs) we're we're going into quarter four soon so it's it's coming soon. Might be a, a Christmas present to the Lions family. I should put one on my public Amazon wish list and see if there's some crazy benefactor out there. <laughs> I mean, worst they can do is not buy it for me. That's pretty bad, though. Come on, people. <laughs> buy it for them. So I am actually, uh, we talked about fancy headphones before and how I've been gaming on them. And now I have found like a new level of fancy headphones that since I can plug them directly into the PS4 controller would be even awesomer. And that is noise canceling headphones. And it looks like you have not tried these before, but I honestly, so like I've heard about how they work and I understand there's like they're not just packing your ears with gauze right like it's in like <laughs> it's an opposite sound frequency that like cancels out so there's a principle it, it all of, sounds like witchcraft to me <laughs> there's a, a principle of sound where <clears throat> if you have a stereo signal and like say you have a a noise in the left and then a phase inverted version of that noise in the right cancels out you don't hear it and i've actually seen this it's a, a lot of how our phones use extra mics so they can hear us talk in crowded environments because you're like okay google tell me directions home and don't listen to all these other people here okay that makes sense so So that technology is used in headphones to cancel out your environment while you listen well and so the the story that leads up to how i was able to try these would probably gross some people out but they were a stranger's headphones and i was on a plane and we were chatting and I was like, oh, those are noise canceling headphones. And it was like, do you want to try them? And I was like, um, do you want me to put those in my ear? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you seem like a clean guy. And I was like, okay, that's not what I meant, but okay. So they were uh, like little bows, like in-ear buds um, with those weird little hooks that are suddenly popular, you know, like the inner ear hook <laughs> looks like a little like raptor talon. And, uh, I didn't realize that the noise canceling thing, like it has to be, it's powered. So there's actually a little like tiny, super tiny power brick in the the phone cable or in the headphone cable right before the connector jack. And I put them in and, you know, him and I are chit chatting and we're on a plane, like a plane that's flying. So there's a lot of ambient noise. You know, he's talking loud so I can hear him. And he clicks the thing on because you can turn on noise canceling without playing like sound through them. 
and he he turns the thing on and it just the world goes like total total radio <laughs> silence like there was just this really quiet like quiet little hum i just realized anybody who's listening with smart speed is not <laughs> going to hear that like three second pause i just did <laughs> um but yeah i mean it was it was remarkable he's sitting you know what 24 36 inches away from me tops in our, our crappy airline seats and i can't hear the engines i can't hear him like shouting at me like it's amazing isn't it and like i can see his <laughs> mouth moving and then when he turned on the music that was what really made it because he was listening to like some terrible country album that's not the point but <laughs> <laughs> once he turned on the music it's like now you're hearing the music and you can actually hear like the the frequency range of it. It's not just up super loud so you can barely make out the melody. Like it was a really, really pleasant experience. They also cost $300. So there's that. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine... Um, playing video games on something like this though because i'm already a little bit jumpy and i think completely <laughs> isolating myself from the surrounding universe would make it a lot worse <laughs> that happened to me the other day i was trying i was actually i wasn't playing a game but i was just really focused on some design thing i was working on and shelby came in the room and put her hand on my shoulder <laughs> and, oh my god it was like a ghost just, did you like the the ninja back fist where you're like whoa <laughs> And just like caver teeth, just like oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's see, that's the thing is like when I play video games on Steam, the way my laptop is set up, I have my back to the world. But if I was on the couch, I would be facing the world, so it might feel a little bit more comfortable having like really isolating headphones. But I was surprised you said you've never tried these before, like not even in a, a music shop or something. No, I mean these are. It's like people wouldn't get these for professional audio because it's like, no, you need to be in a quiet environment and that's not what mm. you spend your money on. This is for being on buses and in planes like you were in places where you cannot control the environment. And so you want to block it out. Um, so no, I'd never had a chance. I've never, I mean, I've seen them like in mall kiosks and probably Apple stores have had them or something, but the sticker shock always scares me away. I'm like 300. Nope. Yeah, like, <laughs> and I've I've been going through the same sticker shock looking for in ear Bluetooth. Like I want wireless, but I don't want big cans. And even if you go big cans, it's upwards of you know eighty to hundreds of dollars to yep. get those. But the the in ear ones are oh my god! It's like <laughs> you know even if like obviously Beats are expensive, but everyone else in that category is really freaking expensive too. So. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing is like I, I'm on planes a lot more than I used to be. And even now I'm like, can I really justify $300? And I mean, I'm, I have no plans to buy them right now, but I know exactly if, what will push me over the edge is I'll have a couple of flights in a row where I'm really tired and I really want to sleep. And there is a screaming kid like two rows away from me. And I just I can't make my music loud enough. I just can't tune them out. And I'm going to like pay the $8 to get in-flight Wi-Fi and buy them so that they're like at my house when I land. <laughs> but it, oh man, it's just, I, if you get a chance to try them, like go into a Bose store, if there's any malls that haven't closed yet and like try and find one and, and try them on. Cause it's just, 
I was just so technologically impressed. Like I, I don't, I understand kind of how the, the physics of it works and how the science like in your brain gets tricked, but it's just, it's unbelievable. I would never have imagined <laughs> the effect was that good. And that's why I think you need a place like a Bose store where you walk into and a guy in a blue collared shirt is like, Oh no, no, let me show you why this is worth $300. And then you put these on and then he screams at you and you can't hear anything. <laughs> I'm looking at this. There's a, a link to to the Amazon page in the show notes that you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 83. And it's so tempting, but man, that is a big <laughs> number. It's a big, big number. Yep. Yep. You going to buy these giant Legos? I want to buy these giant Legos. <laughs> they, uh, I, th- I was like, oh, wow, that looks really cool. You can build your own furniture. That'll be really uncomfortable, but you can, you can throw a <laughs> bunch of cushions on it and stuff, but then you're paying a lot more. But then I was like, oh, surely these are like way annoyingly expensive that you're like, ha ha, that was a great idea until sticker shock. No, these are like 5 to $8 per block. And and just to be clear for the listener, you got to go check these out because they are huge. So like they're they're not like... They're not Duplos. They're not just like big toys. Like they are bricks you could build structures and furniture out of. Yeah, they're like the each one. Well, so of course they can't call them Legos. They're ever blocks. Um, <laughs> but they're they you know they come in the standard like two by four, two by two, and then is there a smaller flat one? Uh, yeah, there, there's like a flat cap one so that you can have like a smooth surface. Um, but they the the two by four one is like it's like the size of a cinder block. I mean, they're really big. Oh, and one by two—that's the other size. Yeah. So and twelve by six. Oh, that's what you're saying. Um, yeah, these things are big, and I don't know. Like, do you think this is gonna? You think people are gonna? Other than ha ha, I have Lego furniture. Do you think people will use these for no. real things? Nope. <laughs> nope. Just ha ha, I have Lego furniture. <laughs> Mainly because. Five to eight dollars a brick doesn't sound that expensive until you think about the sheer volume of space most of these objects take up. Like one of the examples in their gallery is like a building. <laughs> it's it's like an entire like a a building that a, a person would sit in if they were working like a toll booth, like a little toll booth stand. Yeah, and I mean there's. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Not there's nine bricks just on the bottom row on one side of the building. Yeah. And this is a little like kiosk sized building. So I mean, like, yeah, it's cool, but you could probably just build this out of like cinder blocks. <laughs> so unless you were building a structure that for some reason needed to be modular and easily like disassembled and moved, I don't really know what the so the benefit of this. tellingly their their first in their list of applications is special events and that's where I'm like oh that makes sense like you sure. need to break off space and define like this is the hangout area this is the the ninja obstacle course and <laughs> <laughs> here's the minecraft oh wait this is all minecraft but <laughs> everything is my life is minecraft but yeah i mean, i other than haha Lego, look what I did. I don't know if, if people really find this. They're saying disaster relief and military applications too. Rapidly well, deployable shelters. <laughs> I mean, if they're really sturdy and like super weather resistant, 
but I mean, the thing, the sturdier something is, the more expensive it's going to be and the harder it is to make it portable because it's going to be like heavier. And I mean, it's not made out of carbon nanotubes. So, you know, the more weight it has, the harder it's going to be to say like, oh, we'll just airlift a bunch of these freaking rainbow colored bricks to a disaster area. And yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't, the thing is, I can't really think of a good alternative. Like if you weren't going to bring them Legos to build temporary structures, what would you bring? Something heavier, right? Like cinder blocks. <laughs> That's true. I'm looking at their Lego guardhouse here, and it, I've got too much Metal Gear on my mind. No, it totally looks like that. It Which uh, I do have to just briefly go back because I mentioned Metal Gear. <laughs> is how crazy I'm getting because I was I was driving through, I was going through a, a fast food line, and I couldn't see the menu, and I wanted to press R1 and zoom in. <laughs> and I was like, wait, I'm in real life. I can't do that. Okay, see, now you're making me worry about you a little bit. <laughs> yeah, Because be before it was cute, but now I'm like, uh-oh. He's <laughs> losing his happening? grip on reality. <laughs> All right, we can move on. Uh, see, okay, wait. There's one example on here that I could believe a normal person would buy. It's like, it's it's the second one on the very last row. You see all those those colorful with the space? Yeah. If you blow that up, it's a little kid with a water pistol, and he's he's playing with his father presumably his parent and and they're multicolored blocks and there's space in between them and so that little structure right there probably cost him a couple hundred dollars but i mean a little play fort for a kid like that a couple hundred dollars to have some way to entertain your kid and you could be reconfigured and you could maybe build like a little slide or a little fort like that's that's actually pretty damn reasonable yeah children's stuff is crazy expensive <laughs> So now that I'm thinking about it that way, I'm kind of like, well, I have a kid. <laughs> Maybe I can justify a few hundred dollars worth of giant Lego blocks. <laughs> All right. I think we need to talk about this how-to geek uh, hating up on ad blockers. Mainly, be I want to talk about it because I think what he did is hilarious. But have you upgraded to the beta of iOS 9 yet? Are you rocking ad blockers? I'm not on the beta Okay, so you're still paying for the internet like a good God-fearing American. (laughs) I'm still getting redirected to the app store automatically and then being (laughs) angry. So it looks like, well, to be fair, what he's doing the last time I checked, this only actually affects uh, desktop ad blockers, not mobile ones. But what he was doing to just mess with some of his visitors is uh, he wrote a little sloppy JavaScript that... If it detects you have an ad blocker, it changes all the font on his website to Comic Sans. And it pops up a little funny message like, uh, let's see, what's (laughs) what's this one in the screenshot say? Uh, Since we detected you were blocking the ads that pay our bills, we are changing the font to Comic Sans. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'd be cool with... uh what, the way I would run it, and the way a lot of people I've heard, at least maybe this is like cigarette smokers saying they aren't the ones that litter everywhere, but <laughs> uh, I run an ad blocker, but I whitelist sites I go to regularly. And that's probably the way I would end up running it if, if I did use a content blocker. Is like, okay, like I want the world to change, so I'm going to punish most sites. Yeah. But there are the ones that I frequently enjoy. I will whitelist. I will suffer through their ads. And as long as they don't yeah. get too bad about it. See, mine has been 
mostly behavioral like i'm i'm paying or i'm i'm voting with my dollar i think is the phrase i'm i'm desperately searching for which is uh if i go to a site that just every time i land there it's like a full bleed ad it's some terrible pop-up there's some crazy share thing that comes in when you're two paragraphs in i just stop going there (laughs) and i mean it's not like i don't have this internalized list of like people who wronged me like the nixon like hit list but (laughs) i just generally have started it's more like i've started to mentally whitelist like like if i see a link to the how-to geek i'm like oh i know his site is legit and i just go there safely you know if i see a link to the verge now I'm like, oh, they kind of have started doing like the big like pop down ads where it pushes all the content down and then it drags it all back up, which I kind of hate. What drives me nuts, you ever have this on mobile where you scroll down and then you get popped back to the top of the page because mm-hmm. there's all these JavaScript running and maybe it's because they want you to see the ad. So they want to pop you back up because it finally loaded. And it's just yep. like, um, I was in the middle <laughs> of reading your content and you're this hostile action just happened. Do you want me to leave? Yeah. So I think people are kind of hyping up this iOS 9 thing a bit too much on the content blocking, but I am curious to see if it changes the conversation at all. Um, Technologically, it's not going to change. I mean, ad companies will find a way around it or... You know, people won't activate or it won't catch, you know, something will happen and we'll have the same war we always have. But I do think back to people I've seen blogging talking about pop-up blockers kind of coming to the fore was because ads were getting so obnoxious popping over that pop-up blockers became a thing and ad companies had to change. Well, now they do all the stuff with CSS and JavaScript in the page. (laughs) So it pops up in a different way. But I also think there's a huge difference between saying advertising is evil. I hate Google. I want to block everything. And hey, can we have a new conversation about how you're taking my data and I'm not really having any control over it? And you're using these big platforms that are insecure and there's all these horrible things going on. Can we maybe change that? Yeah, I mean, the the phrase I see all the time, and, and I, I've heard you say when we've talked about this kind of stuff, is user hostile. It's like your design, your ads, even your content. Like you could have user hostile content where you're, you know, in, in the middle of your, your story about some tech thing, you're just like, ha rape joke. And it's like, maybe they didn't want us to hear that in the middle of your conversation about high DPI screens. Like, could you <laughs> kind of dial it back? So, I mean... The, the ads, I think, are always in the forefront because user hostile design, like if you just have a crappily laid out website or if you have like you make bad jokes or, or you're offensive, those are indirectly related to how you pay the bills. But the ads are literally how you pay the bills. So if you have user hostile ads, it's like, can you not like... <laughs> do that please can you can you just i'm willing to read your ads and see the ads and have the flashing banners and whatever but uh but like the one that drives me the, lately the most crazy is before i've seen and this is a site the first time i've ever gone to this dude's site pops over blocks everything and says sign up for my newsletter <laughs> and i'm like i don't even know if i like you yet and now i definitely don't <laughs> Oh, hi. Nice to meet you. Do you want to get married? (laughs) Basically. (laughs) Do you want to move in with me, Mike? 
So I guess what I'm watching for is not that this will be some new heavenly world of no ads and everyone's happy and perfect, but more just if it if it brings that conversation up again and maybe there can be some positive steps on like, yeah, advertising pays the bills. You guys get free content all the time and that's great. Um, can we move the balance a little bit on the user experience? Yeah, and I would love to see like blacklisting over whitelisting just because if you're going to use a a content blocker you're way more likely to angrily be like oh i don't know crappy website x9x like you're getting blocked but you're (laughs) i don't think you're as likely to land on like the how to geeks website where the ads are not very invasive and they're just off to the side and just be like good guy how to geek you're whitelisted like you're not even gonna think about it because the ads are not invasive and they're being blocked, so they're extra not invasive because yeah. you're not even <laughs> seeing them. So this, I, I feel like whitelisting is everybody wants to believe that that's how they would handle it, right? Like if you install a, a content blocker, you're like, oh, well, of course I whitelist the good guys. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, you don't. No, like I know when you pulled up to that red light, you threw your cigarette butt out <laughs> on the curb like every other smoker. You just say you're not the one that does that. Right. And you mentioned the thing about the being like redirected to the app store on iOS, which actually doesn't happen, to at least to me. Maybe it's the websites I go to, but that doesn't happen to me that often on Android. So when it does, I'm like, never going there again. And apparently Google is going to start punishing people who do that in search results, which is awesome. Please do that. Because, I mean, it's it's a dishonest thing. I I was going to this article and I ended up not where I thought I was going. So, again, user hostile. Yeah. And it it does, it feels, it's very, um, it's very reminiscent of the pop-up where, like, you thought you were going to get an article about, you know, the Middle East or something, and then like, boom, Viagra ad. And you're like, ah, what yeah. happened? I thought I was on the New York Times. Yeah. I do think, though, um, to bring this to an STD analogy, um, <laughs> blacklist versus whitelisting, like, I, I feel like it's more like, yeah, it'd be nice if everyone was honest about where they had been and who their partners had been <laughs> and when they were last tested. But until then... Yeah, use a content blocker because you don't know what ad network is going to be <laughs> on the site you went to. Yeah, I don't. Could you ever imagine there being uh, like strict laws around any of this kind of stuff? I can't because I don't think the lawmakers understand it. Uh, Europe will do it, but it'll be a poorly worded law that's skirted easily. Good point. <laughs> you want to talk about wearables? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so. There's like a, this ridiculous explosion of wearable information that all just piled down on me in like the last week, week and a half. <laughs> so, you know, I got my, my Moto 360 here and I love it. And I knew the Moto 362, which I think they're actually just calling the Moto 360 like parentheses 2015, <laughs> which I'm fine with that naming scheme. Like that's totally fine. But the new one is coming out and there's also going to be a sport version and then like Huawei and LG and Samsung and like every other freaking company on earth was like, here's our offerings and just, <laughs> and they're good. Like they have good specs and they look nice and they just threw all this stuff into the ring. So you've seen that gif of the like person with like 50 hot dogs hitting their face. <laughs> it's like new watches. <laughs> you going to find that for me now? Yes. Cause I'm not sure I know what the hell that is. 
<laughs> okay. But anyway, <laughs> while you're looking for a crazy hot dog gif, um, I think the first thing that I saw in this this field that I think is really interesting is that uh, Android Wear now extends to the iPhone. So iOS, uh, I guess you wouldn't really pair it with a tablet, but your your iPhone can now pair with an Android Wear smartwatch, which is neat. But if you don't like its functionality out of the box, you're kind of stuck because the the design of iOS as well as the unhappy relationship between Google and Android means they are never going to get the kind of deep hooks into the OS that that Apple allows for their device. So if all you want is like notifications and little calendar reminders and like that's it, maybe like voice search, step tracking, that's fine. But if you're ever like, oh, I want to install this cool app, nope. Yeah. Well, here's my question is, will that disadvantage if... You, it's at least a disadvantage for iPhone users who want a smartwatch. It'll be a disadvantage for Google trying to say, hey, ours is great, at least in the short term. But, I mean, don't you see these watches becoming basically their own platform rapidly where they'll have their own... I mean, most of these watches are starting to have their own Wi-Fi. And, you know, how long until they, they basically have their own... Even if you use a computer to install stuff onto them, they basically could be independent from the phone. And at that point, Google can sell you a Google Watch that hooks into a bunch of cool stuff, and it's just incidental that it doesn't talk to your phone that well. Yeah, I mean, well, some of the first smartwatches, and now like the the new one Samsung just announced, uh, there's going to be a 3G versions where it operates completely independently. It has it technically has its own phone number, but it can have stuff redirected to it from your phone. You can make calls off of it. You can send texts off of it. Like it's it's a wrist-mounted phone. It is a Dick Tracy watch. And I mean, I don't have an Apple Watch and the the 360 can't do phone calls. Like I can pick up a phone call, which is nice because my the headphones I wear most of the time have a little mic. So if my phone's in my pocket, it is convenient to just be like, oh, I'm getting a phone call. Swipe to answer. Mm-hmm. So that's neat. But I'm not sure how I feel about the the Dick Tracy, like, you know, come in, chief, like holding it up to my head. You, you got to get your your noise canceling Bluetooth in here. That's right. With, with Mike. Um, well, and see, okay, I'm glad you said that because this is exactly, I, I remember years ago, a couple of years ago before I had a smartwatch, thinking, wouldn't it be cool if I could just have a smartwatch that did like 80% of what I needed and then have like a tablet, like a seven to nine inch device that I didn't have to constantly reach for. And now that I've owned a smartwatch for a while, no. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason I say that is because the vast majority of what I use my phone for is browsing things, which would not be a pleasant experience on a one and a quarter inch screen. I don't want to browse Twitter on my wrist. I don't want to browse Reddit on my wrist. I don't want to read my RSS feeds on my wrist. I don't want to do any of that. That all sounds awful. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I want yeah. to read one sentence at a time. And that's right. it. Yeah, like you look and it's a text message saying like, hey, I'll be there in 20 minutes. Like, that's fine. But when um, I notice like my brother sent me four messages in 20 seconds, I'm like, okay, get in the phone out because <laughs> I'm not dealing with this on my wrist. <laughs> I, just, I, I can't even. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's why like I don't know. 
if I really want to go in the direction of like, well, I have when I need to do audio stuff, I've got my ear thing in. And when I need to do quick notifications, I've got the wrist thing. And then when I need to do longer stuff, I've got the phone slash tablet size thing. Like I I feel like the phone is a good form factor for a large uh, quantity of interactions, you know, putting data in and getting data out and trying to break that down into its constituent components. I'm not sure there's a huge win there. Yeah. So, I mean, what what's missing from Android Wear for iOS? So you can't install third-party apps because they have nothing to talk to on the phone. Right. Um, I guess that's the ma- that's the more like the, not a big deal right now because watches don't do that much, but going forward may become a huge deal. Well, I mean, think of it even in like the simplest terms of, so I have, uh, you know, Pocket Cast is the, the app that I use on, uh, on Android for podcasts. So I can like pause and, and start those from the little, you know, notification on the watch. But if I started using tomorrow, any other player, Google Music, you know, Podcast Addict, I've been listening to some books on Audible. It works with the Audible because they're all just starting and stopping phone audio. And you, well, my Pebble could do that with iOS because it, it gets the media control, so you can play pause, but you couldn't navigate or or look through other app stuff, right? So anything beyond like starting, stopping, exactly. So you would get that like bare functionality, but if you have uh, some some other player, some music player that has like this really cool feature, it's going to work with the Apple Watch and not with Android Wear. Yeah. So you're going to, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, it's going to be like a super powered pebble because the way they're getting around some of the limitations is they're building functionality into the Android Wear app. So Android Wear has a little bit of power to look at what's happening on the device and like notifications and for Googly stuff specifically. Right. And kind of see what's going on and then report back to the watch and be like, hey, this guy's iPhone that I'm not supposed to know anything about. Well, he uses Gmail. Here's what's going (laughs) on in the Gmail app. (laughs) But if you're using the mail app, no dice. You get a notification, but it's not rich. You can't interact with it, blah, blah, blah. So it's yeah. I mean, in some ways, it kind of makes me curious, like, is this a stopgap between so someone who has an iPhone, they don't want a pebble, but they don't want to spend the money on an Apple watch. Like, maybe this would be a good middle ground for that person. But how big is that that pool? Yeah. And the other question is, will Apple enrich their Bluetooth APIs into the OS going forward? I mean, I know... I don't see them intentionally saying, here, we're going to make life easier for all of you, but <laughs> they may just decide to enrich things for iOS in general that will give some new abilities to these third-party watches. But yeah, it, they are going to be second-class citizens on iOS. Do you think... I don't. I, I haven't gotten this kind of vibe from, uh, from uh, Tim Cook, but you don't think they would do the opposite and be like, oh, look at that clever workaround that we are now going to make not work for you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I I don't, I mean, you know, I obviously don't know the man, but he's done more for opening up Apple as a platform and as an ecosystem than Steve did, especially toward the end of his tenure. I, I think what they'll do is probably just not help like not not lay obstacles down but not go out of their way to make it easier and then 
if there's anything that could be argued as a security risk, they will block that. Yeah, that's if, if it also happens to make life harder for these, <laughs> then bonus. But we have the shield of, oh, that's a security risk. You can't do that. I think the only way they would really get into trouble is if they were like, oh, we're not going to let Google apps talk to other Google apps. So it's like, oh, Android Wear can no longer report on what Google Calendar is doing because then Google has the fair point to come out and be like, they're our apps. Yeah, We're allowed to make them talk to each other if we want. It's up to the user to decide whether or not they want that functionality, <laughs> but you can't decide that our two products cannot converse. Yeah. So I don't know. A lot of this is so... I mean, that's why I think like the little extra features, like that's where it'll be those little paper cuts because I've noticed... So the, there was just a big update to Android Wear and the main thing it did... Um, I don't know if I put this in the show notes, so I, I apologize if you have no idea what I'm about to say, but it's uh, they made it so that the screen can be um, interacted with. Oh, no, it's down here. Cool. So I did, my, <laughs> I did my research. So they made it so that the screen can be interacted with in, um, I don't know what the right term for it is, like a, uh, like a, a spatial way. So like the top left part of the screen will do a different thing than like the bottom right. Right. So it's not just like one giant button. Yeah. So when Android Wear originally launched, I think because they flip flopped. So I think when it first launched, the whole screen was like one giant button. So that way it was very simple, easy to understand interactions. Then they made it so that if you pressed on the screen, like the clock face, it took you to what they call the assistant, which was like the, you know, the Google now where you could talk at it. And then if you swiped, that's how you got to like settings and stuff. So they've changed this really slowly over time so that nobody got like too married to one type of interaction. But now, like if I wake my my watch up, I've got like six little dots and one is for the calendar, one is for the weather, one is for the, the clock, one is for my step So it's counter. more of a launcher now? It's more of a launcher in like a really focused way. Like I can't put just whatever the hell I want here on this particular watch phase, but it'll be a very, very short amount of time before someone does that where they're yeah. just like, here's our face watch face making app and you just put whatever the hell you want on there. Yeah. And I don't like, I'm, I like this pre-built one because it has the exact functions that I care about having on the watch face. Anyway, I might make it look a little different if I had the option, but all I really care about, and I think I've, I've said it before is like calendar notifications are number one. Like, that is the main reason I have a smartwatch. So as long as I can get to that and be like, oh, I have an appointment in a few hours or, oh, I have an appointment in five minutes. I really need to go. Like, that's yeah, that's smartwatch job number one. So I had a, another discussion about all these wearables that I takes a little framing to, to get at what, and I tweeted out the short version the other day. But so there's a there's a lot of play with the shape of UIs for watches. Namely, there's circles and there's squares and maybe there's some rectangles, but I don't know. Um, and I, my, my question is basically um, not that everything always has to come down to one choice and there can't be any variety in an ecosystem, but um, which one of the, like, there, there's two scenarios in my mind of how, like, companies have come out with different ideas for something and something kind of wins out. And uh, the first example would be, like, landscape tablets that are 16 by 9. Those are kind of a bigger deal 
you know, like when Android Honeycomb 3.0 came out, it was wide. It was presented as a landscape OS. Right. And that's kind of mostly gone now. And almost everyone, not everyone has gone full 4.3 like the iPad, but they've all gone wider than that. And tablets are kind of seen as, oh, people like to read paperback style on most of these. And even the, the Surface was 16 by 9, and now it's 3.2 or at least 16.10. So there was like a lot of play with like the shape and the intended look. And it turns out, I would argue, that squarer formats for tablets, um, because people rotate these things, it's more usable and more orientations by having it square. So that kind of went that way. The other thing that happened was bigger phones happened. <laughs> and for the longest time, Apple's like, nope. Nope, three and a half inch, fine, four inch. Okay, we'll go big. Okay, six inch. <laughs> and I, I think that's an interesting one because um, let's set aside the, the hyperbolic everything, you know, the, the Apple fanboys going, no, three and a half inches is perfect or something. <laughs> and let's just set aside the hyperbolic end of that and, and just admit, yes, smaller phones are easier to use one-handed. That's true. Yes. Doesn't matter. Because <laughs> everything else people got with bigger screens was more important to people. It turned out in the market, and Apple has capitulated and said, oh, it turns out that thing we thought was really important is actually not that important. Because nicer to read on, better battery life. Um, people are doing so much more on these than they were at the beginning of this type of device. So big phones won, and square tablets won. So... If we assume that circle versus square watches is a similar war, what's going to win? So that's my long-winded way of framing that. Well, I so to talk about the watch, I will actually step back to your your apt analogy about the phone. And I think because uh, dumb phones or feature phones, whatever the <laughs> hell you're supposed to call them, um, because they were heading in the smaller, 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 smaller direction. I mean, I actually I saw a Moto Crazer the other day, like just a couple of weeks ago, which I had. I had the Razer and the Crazer. And man, it's like the size of a pack of gum. It's so freaking small. I was like, even if this entire thing was screen, I wouldn't want to read anything on this. I mean, it's the basis of the Zoolander joke. He's yeah. Super tiny phone. What is this? A, a phone for ants? I know it's the museum, but I just... Uh, yeah. So anyway... <laughs> Um, what I'm getting at is uh, if the iPhone debuted at the size of the iPhone 6 Plus, people would have balked. Like, they would have been like, no, look at, I have I have this tiny, super portable Moto Crazer. Why would I want to carry that giant television around <laughs> in my pocket? Right? Like, well, that do you remember Dell came out with a, I think it was a five-inch tablet, and everyone's like, that thing is so ridiculously huge. What yes. the hell is Dell thinking? <laughs> yeah. And they were just too early. They yeah. They were right. They knew people were going there eventually, but we needed to transition there. And, and so I think, and I'm not saying Apple was necessarily a bunch of super geniuses playing the long game, but they knew by emphasizing the one-handed usability that it was just like, it's not really a phone, but we still call it a phone. Like, you need to make it relatable to the general public so that they're like, oh, I see how I'm supposed to use this. 
And then while using it, they discover new uses. And then those new uses like reading and videos and things become more important. Those overshadow the convenience of like one handedness. And then, you know, you get six and a half inch gigantic phone monsters. (laughs) So I think the, in my mind, the round versus square thing is exactly that. Watches are round. Everyone expects a watch to be round. That's what watches look like. But you do lose those corners. Yeah. (laughs) And on such a small screen, losing those little corners is a large portion of your real estate. So, like, I'll admit every once in a while I'm reading, like, a a paragraph-long email just, like, really quickly on my watch. And I'm like, God, this would be a lot easier if this was a freaking (laughs) rectangular screen. Yeah. And so that's I, I thought those two past situations were interesting because the 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 thing that seems like it has the best argument at the time, the small phone, it's one handed and smallness matters because you want these things to be pocketable. Didn't turn out to matter in the, that way over as time changed. And so I'm wondering, like, is there something about circle UIs where it doesn't matter? This is a fashion item. People just want it to look circular and don't care and they're not reading that much anyway or is it gonna go over time and it'll be like no i'm so sick of like i can't have four buttons because it's a circle and you really get one thing in the middle or that's not really true because you have your there's circular uis that are putting circles all around circle everything <laughs> but it, it it is true that i feel like circle makes you it makes some decisions for you that square ui you have more to play with and you're not boxed in as much. But will that matter? I don't know. I, I think long term, the additional screen real estate will win out because the additional screen real estate comes at a very small exchange of making the device larger by just like, oh, let's just push those uh, those corners out and <laughs> you know maybe just you know have like a little little four sides there instead of one infinite side. I, I I just I imagine people going in that direction because it's a really easy way to take a relatively small device that it's important to you stay relatively small. Like I can't imagine people wanting a Pip Boy, right? Like <laughs> yeah. a giant like Leela from Futurama, huge wrist mounted computer. Like if we're going that direction, that is a ways off. And we're going to need flexible displays that are solar powered. So they're super lightweight with no batteries. Like that's, that's a way, way, way off. Yeah. So between here and there, I think squares are a way to get that extra space on the screen without making the device substantially larger. Cause I'm, you, I don't know. You could probably do the math of like, what's, what's the area to like, to get the same amount of surface area in a circle versus a square, oh, man. Like, but you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like it, it would diameter equal to the side of a square. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you would be gaining the circle would be going up in size dramatically compared to the square. Um, so I think they'll win out once people are used to, especially with the Apple watch. I mean, the Apple watch is apparently selling pretty well. I see them everywhere. Um, I can imagine that being a great bridge to like, Oh, it turns out watches can be square. We thought they all had to be circles, but they can be square. And, and on that note, the Moto 362 2015 Pro Plus Edition, whatever, um, it's uh, it's still got a flat tire. <laughs> and I was a little shocked by that because I thought for sure they would like give up and make the, the bezel a little bit bigger and figure out a way to get the electronics in there. But I think this is 
kind of to your point of in Motorola's mind, because they released this little chart or somebody made this little chart of the bezel to screen ratio of all these different smartwatches. And on the Moto 360, it's awesome. The bezel to screen ratio on the Moto 360 is like one to 0.85. And on like the Apple watch, it's like one to 0.5. Like it's, it's really, and most other smartwatches are like that where all these electronics are hidden out in the bezel so that they can give it a perfectly round screen, especially a device like the Apple watch, which has a ton of sensors in it. Like, those have to go somewhere. Yeah. So with the the Moto 360, they decided it was more important to have a very, very thin bezel and keep the tiny flat tire at the bottom than to have a thicker bezel and drop the flat tire. Yeah. Um, so I did some quick, you know, envelope math here. And so let's say you have a square that is 10 units per side. And then the circle that fits in there that has a 10 unit diameter. So the square's area is 10 times 10, 100 units. It would be the area of that square. If uh, you use your, your trig formula for the area <laughs> of the circle, it's pi r squared. So the, the radius would be half the length of the side. So it would be 5 times 5 is 25 times pi gives you about 78 and a half. So you're losing about 21.5% area to go circle. A little over twenty percent. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah. So now you know it's about just say twenty percent you're losing by yeah, going that, circle. That's a fifth. That's that is not nothing when you're talking about a little tiny you know wrist mounted screen. If you had like a giant jumbotron, you're like yeah whatever. <laughs> All right. Any any other watch stuff to discuss? Um, I, there was I am something else. a little blown away by the fact that. These beautiful, absolutely lovely looking new Samsung watches are going to run freaking Tizen (laughs) and that you acted like that was not a big deal because that is so a big deal. No, it's a big deal. I I was more like supposedly it's not as bad as Tizen has been in the past (laughs) because I know the first Samsung gear watch was kind of like, all right, they just wanted to be first, but it's not good. But this was one blogger's report saying it's not bad. My problem with Tizen is not the quality of it. It's really, it's, I've, I've never even used it. I've seen mixed reports. Some people like it. Some people don't. My problem is that Samsung has a history of uh, throwing crap against the wall and seeing what sticks. And when they abandon something, it is like dead to them. Yeah. So if you invest in this two or $300 watch and they decide Tizen is a loser, then you're just, that's it. That's just, it's done. Yeah. And also having used several Samsung phones and being stuck with one right now, I (laughs) really am not in love with the amount of crap that they install onto their devices. So the idea of having all the Samsung garbage on top of my Android installation and then having a device that's Samsung all the way down to the core <laughs> with garbage just flowing out of it in every circular direction. Like that's, that is just not enticing to me. Like if I wanted a completely controlled experience, I would go Apple because Apple by and large makes really user focused, smart decisions. Whereas Samsung makes like these wild guesses. They're just Jackson Pollock paintings <laughs> of, <laughs> of tech decisions. Yeah, so that and I, it I is, just I don't it, trust it. And it would be strange to me to go 
to go Android, but then to invest in something that is, like you said, the lockdown decision, but not good at it. Like, oh, I'm going to go Tizen, and now I can only use Samsung devices, and I don't even get the benefits of the focus that usually comes with <laughs> closing down. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, if it does well, fine. Like, I'd be happy to see another competitive OS in, in the, the mobile space, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, will they will they keep up with it? Like, even if it's kind of good, will will they keep up? Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't, not based on their, I mean, prove me wrong, Samsung. Like, do it. Make me look the fool. But I right now, I think Android or iOS is a way safer. I mean, hell, I would rather honestly bet on, on Windows Mobile or Windows Phone or whatever. <laughs> Like I, because I trust Microsoft to at least see the device like through its life cycle. Whereas you could buy a, a Samsung gear Two fit pro ultra. And then like a month after it comes out, they're like, ah, eh, this isn't going anywhere. No more device updates. You're like, wait, what? I just got this thing. <laughs> so you apparently never take your Apple watch off shower with it i don't I sing don't it little lullabies it. at night <laughs> hold it close <laughs> only a few songs each night <laughs> i've gotten it down to two or three <laughs> depends on how stressful our day was but apparently i'm did some research and their users came out in mass to say we freaking love our apple watches eight hours a day by 95 percent of users that's a lot yeah, that's like a, I put it on right before I go to work and I don't take it off until I get home amount of time, which what kind of they have some other stats and some of them make a lot of sense, like 99% send and receive messages. OK, yep, of course, <laughs> but over 90% take and make phone calls from it. I don't make very many calls from it. No, but I guess if you're lumping take and make together. Yeah, because if somebody calls you and it's just like oh hey we still on for later and you're just like yep like that counts as a phone call (laughs) yeah dick tracy it real quick we still on yes chief yeah (laughs) but i'm i mean apple's been really guarded about releasing any numbers about the the amount of watches they've sold so of course the tech press is like trying to triangulate that number by pulling in all these statistics weird but, inbox analytics <laughs> <laughs> but the i've i've i mean i'm looking over these gigantic infographics they made um i'm in i'm in the vast majority uh, except the apple watch specific stuff like i don't get hey asshole stand up notifications <laughs> um, that is what but, it says <laughs> hey get up <laughs> schmuck um but yeah i mean other than that like the the things You know, the reasons I use it for like calendar notifications, messaging, um, I wear it all day, every day with, you know, limited exceptions. Like if I'm going to go swimming, I take it off or that kind of thing. But uh, even like tonight, like I I took a shower late tonight and then I put it back on, but even though I'm going to bed in like two hours. Yeah. I was just like, but what if I get a notification? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's been a couple like hot days. I get home from work. I'm like, oh, I feel kind of sweaty. I'm just going to take this thing off. But usually when I get home, it's I can put my phone down and now I can do whatever I'm doing. And I, yep. I still, I keep, that's my go-to example, but I just, I love leaving my phone wherever. Don't care. Yeah. 
Well, and I can tell you as a parent of a two-year-old, it's really nice to be able to put my phone up on a high shelf and just be like, okay, it's safe over there. But if somebody calls me or I get like an important text from, you know, my wife or something like it'll come to my watch. So I don't have to keep my phone with me and also out of like the death claws of a small child. I mean, it's an extension of your example, but it's the same kind of like, I just don't have to know exactly where it is. But yeah, aside from messaging and like just notifications, the the thing that is handy every once in a while is one password because I can sync over uh, a set of passwords I want handy access to. And so then I'm at a terminal, I'm at some other random PC at work, and I'm like, I need to sign into Google, tap my watch, start typing. What? Tell, say more things about this. <laughs> so you can, in one password on the desktop, you can, or on the, the mobile version, either version, you can mark certain logins as you want them to be on the watch. So it doesn't just blindly mirror everything. Um, so I just pick all the stuff I'm most likely to like need random access to, like my Apple account, my Google account, and a few other like the main social accounts. And I just have them synced to my watch. It's still behind a pin. And uh, I, I can pull them up and it'll just show me my password and then I can type it in. Or it'll show me just the, uh, the, the second factor auth if I need that. Oh, I want this. I'm looking on their their product forum and there's some people asking for it. There's also a really obnoxious grammar semantics argument at the top of the forum post. Shock. <laughs> but there's people actually I had no idea this was uh this was a feature. This I I want this. I'm I still want them to integrate with the uh the fingerprint reader on Android, which they did promise is coming. Yeah. So, but yeah, that is really nice. Also on iOS, just boom. yeah, I get to use it on my iPad sometimes because the app still has to work with it, but it's pretty great. But yeah, th- I mean, like I've never done the. Have you ever done like the boarding pass thing where like the QR code comes up on your wrist to pay for Starbucks? I have. I haven't done it on the plane. Uh, yeah, but it's a Starbucks does a QR code, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like, a barcode. I, I don't I, know. I think you can do that kind of thing on Android Wear, and I just honestly haven't. I don't know. I mean, it seems neat. Yeah. But haven't been to Panera in a couple of months, so I haven't been able to Apple Pay it there. But Walgreens is nice. True. And see, that's the thing that at least the, the current iteration of Android Wear doesn't have the deep Google Wallet integration. Eventually, since they're now turning it into Android Pay and whatever nonsense is going on there with rebranding <laughs> and the the deep OS hooks in Android, I guess it'll eventually extend to the watch Apple Pay style, but I don't have any direct comparison there. And honestly, I carry a slim wallet and the main card that I use is right in the front. Like it I don't know that tapping my watch would be that much faster than whipping out the credit card because I've gotten really good at that. <laughs> Yeah, it's more the, I don't want to hand my card to people. But yeah, if I'm swiping it, it's kind of... It's also still like socially weird where there's situations where I'm like, I could pay with my watch, but then it's like, oh, you got one of those. And you flaunt it. Like, no, I'm just going to pull my card out because I don't want to feel the attention. (laughs) Yeah, I have, you know, done the the NFC tap with the phone and people are like, oh, uh... What you doing there? Is that a is that a mobile payment you're making? You uh, register some mobile payments? <laughs> it's also a gamble at a lot of like I've done it at McDonald's before where 
the person doesn't realize they have that tech built into their <laughs> store. And they're like, no, that doesn't work. And I'm like, it just did. <laughs> well, you took my money, so where did it go? <laughs> well, and I'm noticing in the, this iMore article, just because there's a huge amount of data in here, and I'm just noticing that one of the things was 99% of the people said they use the digital crown. 82% said they use it daily and 68% they said they use it several times a day or more. You have arguably the most advanced consumer facing touchscreen. Why are you spinning <laughs> a stupid little wheel? Do you use it? Mm, I used to use it to scroll to the end of an email to dismiss or delete it, but I found out that if I swipe down at the beginning of an email, it'll dismiss it immediately if I know I'm not going to read it. So since then I've used it way less. And and was that like your only use case? Do you have any apps that benefit yeah, from it? Like fast scrolling is when I use it, and that's about it. And setting an alarm or something. This is I got to be fair to Samsung. One of the the interesting hardware additions that they added to their new Tizen watch is uh, if if you've ever used or owned like a dive watch or a, a like a world watch, you can tweak the um, the faceplate so that it can give you like multiple time zones or so you know like okay i went underwater at this time and if i'm not up by that time i'm gonna die like you know it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty rudimentary thing but it, the fact is is it's a part of the watch that physically moves so instead of directly copying the spinning digital crown they integrated that functionality into the the spinning faceplate yeah and according to the the article that's linked in the show notes, the guy said it's like really, really user friendly because it's large. You know, it's the it's, it circles the whole watch face, so it's easy to grip and and spin. And that's something you're not going to do on a square watch for sure. That's true. And it it sounds it, no, it sounds like a really great solution to UI where you're selecting things. Um, I mean, it's kind of also a callback to like the iPods with their their wheel based interface. Yeah. <laughs> Every time someone talks about the click wheel, all I can think about is the that onion video, the the click wheel Mac, where he's like you have to scroll through every word in place of the keyboard, so it's just like everything is just like a Ardvark, a Ardvark advancing. It's oh man, it's so just it's corny and it's old now cuz especially most people don't even know what what click wheel iPods are anymore, but yeah, uh, it gives me the giggles every time I find it on YouTube. So, would you? I guess my final closing question on on the Apple Watch is: Would you? Um, what would it take to make you upgrade? Like, would it have to have better battery? I don't think you care that much about most of the sensors in it because it's already got a plethora of sensors. Um, the, the biggest gap right now is that the watch itself can't do any GPS. So if you're away from your phone, it, other than Wi-Fi triangulation, if they kind of uh, make the software a little smarter, you can't really like, you can't just go on a run and have it map it for you or get directions if you forgot your phone. So that's the one thing. I don't know that it would make me upgrade because it's such a, that doesn't happen very often. Like the phone is always <laughs> in my pocket, so it's fine. Um, I, obviously, serious runners. I think even there, like runners want way more detailed GPS than any of these devices are going to have for a while. 
So they have dedicated sport hardware to track that stuff. But well, I have noticed some of the these new Android watch because like twenty freaking watches just got announced over the last few days, and uh, the Moto three sixty Sport Edition and the the Samsung Tizen as well as a few others have dedicated GPS chips. Yeah, I don't I know if that, you can use it for things like navigation. You probably can, but it's they're definitely pushing it as a, a sport feature. So that's the main gap is that it's it's relying on your phone for location. Um, so I mean, that'll be nice to get in a couple of years, but it's not pushing me. I'm not like itching. Um, I mean, Apple is kind of a master of making you want the upgrade even before you need it. <laughs> so we'll see what they do. <laughs> That's um, very true. Th- they may tread water for a year or more. Just like, Hey, here's a new casing. Here's a new band. It's the same watch. Here's a new <laughs> this, but I don't know. It's probably more two, three, maybe we'll see how far I can push it on this first gen. It's, I don't know, it's working fine right now. When the battery starts to go, that'll probably do it. Yeah, see, I was going to say, for me, it's all battery. Like, GPS would be neat. Dedicated 3G radio would be tempting. Like, that one, true, you know, autonomy from the watch, even if it's just for, or from the phone, even if it's just for, like, a few hours or something would be tempting but i'm not sure if that would push me to spend another two or three hundred dollars but uh if they you know came out with one and they were like it's basically the same thing but four solid days of battery life i'd be like hmm okay because i have noticed you know we've talked about this my crazy hand-waving sicilianiness and uh if i'm if i'm doing something at work where i'm presenting and i'm really swinging my hands around a lot it cuts literally 20 to 30 percent off the life of it because the thing is just flicking on over and over and over they need a a better sense or adjust the sensitivity a little better on that i honestly think it's pretty good because i i've tried to keep my eye on it and like if i you know if i'm like playing with my daughter and i reach out really quickly it won't turn it on the problem is when you talk with your hands in like the kind of stereotypical way i do it's not a lot of sudden jerky violent movements. It's a lot of like slow kind of swimming, almost like you're conducting <laughs> movements, which looks like I'm raising my wrist to look at my watch. So, I mean, it'd be cool if it was better, but I, it's a hard problem. They have very little information to go on to make this <laughs> distinction. Yeah. All right. I think we should wrap this up by calling attention to the fact that Google changed their font and that is a really big deal apparently. <laughs> yeah, the, all the the designers come out of the woodwork to praise or mostly to shit on whenever corporate <laughs> logos get changed. And I it reminded me of when Yahoo changed their logo, which let's be honest, the Yahoo logo is a lot worse than the Google logo without joining the fray as like armchair designers. I think it's pretty easy to say the Yahoo logo kind of sucks and the Google logo is is fine. And, but yeah, people are just all over the place and the verge gathered a bunch of hip, like super high, like the, (laughs) I I can't pronounce his name. I forget it off the top of my head, but this guy, he's got a hyphenated name. He's the head of a, a font like, He's he's one of the most prominent guys. <laughs> there are in, no words. He's one of the most prominent guys in typefaces, and he was he he basically 
said a bunch of back and forth stuff and his main criticism was i hope that e doesn't become a thing where the, the e gets angled <laughs> up but overall he's like eh, it's simple yeah sure simple usually wins so it's probably a good choice and blah 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 and <laughs> but uh i don't know and I, I like the logo. I, I now when I look at the Serif version of Google's logo, I'm like, oh, what is that? <laughs> it does seem super dated, right? Yeah. Especially uh, there. I'll I'll try and find the the comic somebody made and throw it in the show notes. But it's uh, it's like the evolution of the Google logo, and it's all of the real ones over the last you know what twelve years or whatever, <laughs> and then it goes like into the 2020s, and eventually it's just like. G O O G like in the spray paint tool from MS paint. <laughs> I was just like, well played random stranger on the internet. Yeah. But the, I have to say in, in Google's defense. And I mean, tell me if I'm, if I'm misfiring on any of this, cause you, you definitely have way more design chops than I do, but they have to design a logo that is recognizable at virtually any size on any type of device and when I say device here, I'm really extending that to print, black and white print, embroidered on like a polo shirt, printed on a t-shirt, you know, on a watch size screen, on a giant tablet, on a huge billboard in Times Square. Like this is not as easy as designing a look like I need to design cover art for this book. And I want the, the title of the book to be in a nice typeface. Like this is a really, really difficult problem from a design perspective and then they also have to have like the single stamp. So what the, what they went with is the like the multicolored G. Yeah. And I kind of don't love the way that looks really small. Really small, the multicolored G is kind of weird. The colors don't translate as well when it's super tiny. Yeah. Um, I the, that you just reminded me of the the typeface guy. His main his main his other main criticism was they've kind of gone every single shape as a circle except you're left with the L. And it's kind of like the, the odd man out. Like everything is super circular. The capital G is basically a circle that gets interrupted. Um, but overall, he was fine with it. But, you know, this always happens. Like someone, you know, there's a new iTunes logo and it's just as ugly as the last one. And everyone comes out of the woodwork to shit all over it. And <laughs> um, I, I do like that there was a tweet by one of our designer friends, Mark Mueller, um, he he said we're better than this. Let's spend our time solving actual design problems and instead of just nitpicking some random corporate thing. There's there's real design. Like I had the chance to have lunch with him the other week, and we talked for a long time about like real world design problems, like bathrooms, public bathrooms. Like why do you have to? pull on the door to leave what if you don't want to touch that handle either leave the trash can nearby so i can use a towel to grab that handle or make it push like you should push to leave should be standard on all bathrooms so you could like elbow or foot padded yeah and just things like that and we just got lost like with all the little like public experience things that could be better. And it's like, yeah, maybe we don't need to sit and take pot shots at the minutia of Google's new logo and put our attention on things that matter. Well, I mean, if you're a tech person, it's, it's difficult not to talk about a story like this. Cause I mean, they're, you know, one of the largest companies in the world and also one of the largest tech companies ever. And if you're a designer person, I think there's definitely that like, you know, um, what do you call it? Monday morning quarterbacking. We're like, yeah. oh, well, here's how I would have done the logo. And it's like, yeah, but you didn't. 
<laughs> like, oh, well, here's what they should have done differently. Yeah, but yeah. they didn't. It it really does come off as a lot of grandstanding and like chest puffing. Like, I'm just Mr. Designer and I know better. <laughs> I also noticed in this this design. So I didn't even realize Google has like this whole design blog Oh, and I do have thing. to say their their animation is super lovely of, on this. The dots? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. So that's another thing they had to do is they had to find a way to reduce their brand to basically a loading animation, which they did with these four colored dots that like bounce and they can. So if, if something failed, they kind of shiver and shake. And if something succeeds, they like spin back into the the, the logo type. It's It's really, I mean, it's an incredible feat of design. Whether you like it or not, I think is a little bit separate from the the Herculean effort of reducing the entire brand identity down to four colors and you know a few letters and some dots. Like, it is a tremendous effort. Um, but I noticed reading through all of their stuff, this is really more of just an explanation of what led them to the decisions, not. Like, oh, we are trying to communicate these specific things, and that is how you should feel about them. Like, <laughs> they're just like, this is what we're trying to say, and this is the decisions that led us to it. And hopefully, you, we're on the same page. All right, everybody, cool, go team. Yeah. So, but a lot of the critiques, like this one critique I've been hearing over and over, is this font wants to seem friendly. And that's what? Well, no, so hear me out on this because the 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 designer people that I've seen make some of these critiques are like they want the company wants to seem like friendly and approachable and then the cynics are like this font wants to seem non-threatening. Like, <laughs> oh, look, it's it's great school colors and look at the jaunty tilt on the E and how it perfectly lines up with the end of the G. And if if you take the snark away, yeah, they don't want to seem threatening. <laughs> but Well, that was exactly <laughs> exactly. That was exactly when I first heard that that critique. I was like, "Huh, that was weird." And then like the fourth or fifth time I heard it, I was like, "Only like villains in comic books like want <laughs> yeah. to be evil." Like only the LexCorp logo is intentionally like threatening and maniacal. <laughs> yeah, what did they what they expect Google to make like fangs coming off of the O first O and like angry eyebrows on the second O? <laughs> the the L is really a scythe. <laughs> yeah, blood dripping off of it onto the E. Yeah, I don't. It's it's very. Uh, I mean, I. As, as like a consumer watchdog, I could understand why people would be like, oh, you know, this this company, they're, they want to seem like they're your buddy, but you have to remember that they really are a company and being a company comes first. And it's like, yeah, but isn't that true of every company? <laughs> <laughs> You've said almost nothing. Yeah. It's like, oh, you have to remember that uh, the air is made of oxygen and nitrogen and a bunch of other elements. So just don't ever forget that, okay? And it's like, all right, I don't, okay. <laughs> It's just one of the fundamental truths of how companies function is that they do not want to be viewed as evil, malevolent entities. There's lots of funny, stupid lines like that in the movie Buckaroo Banzai, like, wherever you go, there you are. Uh, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I have a, an aside now that you've just made me think of this story, which is, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine recently. I'm not sure if he listens to the show. So if he does, hi, uh, 
And he said another one of those like totally obnoxious platitudes, which is, uh, um, nature doesn't hurry yet. Everything is accomplished. And that's not his line. That's actually a famous quote. Nature doesn't hurry. Let's see what Google says. Nature doesn't hurry yet. Everything is accomplished is the wisdom of Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu. Okay. So yeah. So I mean, this is ancient Chinese philosophy, assuming it wasn't butchered in translation. But my problem with that, that little platitude, just like wherever you go, there you are is Nate accomplishing things as like a human construct. Like nature, if nature failed and all the plants and trees died and the planet was just a big dead rock, nature would not have any feelings about that. Well, and from a human perspective, nature fails constantly. (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. Because like you said, it's, it's us applying this meaning to, to what we see. So, right. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I hate little sayings like that. And the reason I think I hate them so much is because they're so like delicious. Like they're so, (laughs) they're so easily, it's like junk food. You can just like pack a bunch of them in your bag and then just whip them out when you need them. And then you're like, I just said a bunch of words and no meaning was conveyed. (laughs) And I don't want to sound like that. I don't want there to be other people in the coffee shop or at the party who are like, what an asshole. Like, <laughs> yeah. And by the same token, it's infuriating when people are like, what a, what a mystic wizard. So like, profound. <laughs> <laughs> what a mystic wizard. <laughs> uh, all right. I think that's a good note to go out on. Yeah. So if you want to find the show notes for this episode, they are at sunrise robot.net slash flipping tables slash 83 for episode 83. Mike and I both love feedback. We're very accessible on the Twitters as well as other internet places, but you can find me most easily at Lions in Beta and Mike, you are at Medwards Music. If you want to go a little bit further towards supporting the show other than just listening, you can also subscribe. Uh, it's the easiest way to get new episodes into your podcatcher of choice. I'm still using Pocket Cast, like I said. Mike, you still using Overcast? Yep. If you want to go a step beyond those subscribing people, you can go into iTunes and leave us a review. I know iTunes is terrible, but it is still kind of the mecca hub for people discovering new stuff. So you can either just share the show with somebody or go into iTunes, leave a review. Both of those are great. And then if you really want to go the extra mile, you can leave us a uh, a few dollars in uh, Patreon. So we have a Patreon set up. Every dollar counts. Every little bit coming in through there is a huge help to the network. And depending on the level you support at, at uh, patreon.com slash sunrise robot, you may get your name shouted out at the end of the episode. So with that, I want to say thanks to our compatible with Android, Tizen, and iOS supporters, Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, and Andreas Longo. We love you guys. We couldn't do it without you. 